Hey, it's Jason Cunningham and welcome back to Save My Business, the podcast dedicated to helping small and medium-sized businesses navigate through the proverbial shitstorm. Now, today's guest is a powerhouse, a doyen of the health and fitness industry, um, none other than Mr. Tony Doherty. Now, I'm pretty excited to have Tony in here because I used to watch him on Muscle TV and I reckon that was one of the best and most raw TV that I've seen for a long time. Tony's now got four gyms across Australia and is also a business partner of Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is interesting. And Tony's claim to fame, if you ask me, was his gym was the first to go 24-7. Tony Doherty, welcome to Save My Business. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me on. Now, Tony, it would be remiss of me uh, not to talk about some of the powerhouse of work you've done this year. I've been following you on social media for a long time, but this year your head's popped up a lot as a voice, if you like, for the gyms and really challenging uh, the state's leader, inverted commas, uh, or our premier, around the lockdown and the safety around all the dangers, the inherent dangers he'd talk about going into gyms. And you've really challenged that. Can you share with us some of the thoughts or your thoughts on why you think that was the wrong move? Well, probably what really, you know, rubbed a nerve with me is when I saw one of the press conferences early on and the chief health officer and the premier both came out and said that gyms were high risk environments. So I tried to contact them and see where they were getting this this data from or these facts from because you know, I had facts from all over the world and I thought, we don't really have an industry body at this stage to stand up for us. I've got a great platform. So I'm going to go on the attack. And I made a committed decision before I posted my first video to remain polite, articulate, to stick to the facts, to be well-spoken and give them what they didn't expect from a guy like me, right? So I thought the best thing I can do is, is to keep it good, not to swear and you know, carry on because people were doing that and they were attacking the government. I thought you're not going to get anywhere like that. So um, the first video I think I put out, um, which had you know, a couple of hundred thousand views or something, I just said, I just want to know and demand to know where are you getting your facts from? Because you're saying that gyms are high-risk environments and they spread the, the virus and there was no cases in the world um, of Jim spreading the virus and 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 for it to uh, to go that way, so I, I kind of put this video up. I just made it sitting at my desk like a selfie with with the phone, and it went nuts, you know. Mm. And uh, everything started to really, really gain momentum from there. And then the media started contact me for comments, and then you know I presented them with all the facts. For example, um, a group called Fitness Australia had done a survey when we opened up for the after the first thirteen week lockdown. Um, uh, on New South Wales gyms in the first eight weeks had 7.1 million check-ins in 550-something gyms with zero cases of community transmission. And in the US where, where it was rampant, mm. they had 49.5 million check-ins in four weeks, no community transmission. So they really got my teeth into it. And the only one I could find was a, a Zumba class in South Korea with 60 people in a room this big mm. uh, before we did community, uh, what's it called, uh, social distancing. Yeah. Um, where they had spread it. But this is before anyone knew what the virus was back in April. Yeah. And it was the only case in the world. So I thought, well, hang on, someone's got to stand up and say, why, why are we getting kicked to the curb? What did we do? What about... I thought, well, if I just talk about the economics of it and say, oh, poor me, you know, we're, we're financially hurting, we're not getting any, any yeah, payments and we've got all these bills. I thought it's not going to get anywhere because everyone in every business I know of, whether it's hospitality or nightclubs or gyms, or, or tourism, we were all hurting, right? Yeah. We were all copying it. So I thought that's not going to get their attention. So then I decided to focus on the real benefits to people going to, to the gym, which is the mental health benefit, particularly for blokes. 
you know, who, who might be a bit lost and going to the gym, as I said, is, is sometimes the only little bit of thread holding someone's life together. And then you say, oh, I'll go walk in the park. It's not the same because the gym provides this wonderful community where you fit in. And you might get bullied at work. You might have a shitty relationship. You might have, you know, just just a life that you don't really hate, but you've got this one thing to look forward to, and it's going to the gym where you know you're going to be accepted. So I went along, along those lines and said, you guys are missing out on, on the obvious, which is exercise is great for your immune system. Exercise is great. Healthy, fit people don't get sick mm. as easily as, you know, obese people. But beyond that, the mental health aspects are so important right now. The suicide rate's going up, domestic violence, antisocial behaviour, because people haven't got their outlet. Why, why are you closing us down? This is, this is nuts. And then I'd go to, at the first lockdown, I'd go to Bunnings or Coles or whatever, and it'd be nothing. So I said, well, hang on a minute. When I go to the supermarket or the bottle shop, it's so important. You know, bottle shop stayed open and Alcoholics Anonymous was closed down. Yeah. I know one guy, I know that had been an alcoholic. He'd been going to meetings for 10 years. Guess what happened when uh, Alcoholics Anonymous stopped having meetings? Got he couldn't do Zoom. Went to Dan Murphy's. He's still pissed. Yeah, you know this is this is stuff that no one wanted to talk about. So I thought I'm going to be the one to talk about. I'm going to put it right in their face and say, "Well, where are you getting your facts from, and why we do why are we doing this to people? This is not fair." You see, I I I actually don't have a problem with the initial their initial stance of closing things down, but then when they were presented with alternate facts, like you got up there and said some real valid things that I I listened to. Number one. Everyone needs a fob to get in the joint. So you know who's in the joint, you know how long they're in there before, and you know how long everyone else is in there. You know who they've been in contact with. You said you also said in that period in between the two lockdowns that it was a privilege for people to get up and get into the gym. They were wiping down their equipment. They were keeping their distance. And as you said, the cases there has been no cases other than the Zumba class. Right. And I, I can't imagine too many Zumba classes going on in Duffy's. <laughs> no, not in our sort of gym. But yeah. look, it went beyond that. Um, so we said, look, we've got the best community uh, uh, contact tracing system in the world. Yeah. And in that two weeks that we were open in between the lockdowns, I had DHHS, and I put a video up about this. I thought, why? Let's be open about it. Yeah. And they said, look, we've got a, a person that's tested positive that's been at your gym. I go, what day? What's his name? And I was able within one hour to give them a spreadsheet with every single member that was in the building, one hour before and one hour after him. We were able to go through the videos and make sure he didn't hug anyone. He wiped down his benches. I presented with all of them. This is the irony. The DHHS called me and said, you are gold standard. I wish that every business was like you are because we asked you a question. Within an hour, we had all the facts. We were able to call those people, all the staff, all the personal trainers, everyone that was in your building. You presented us with more information than any other industry, any other sector possibly can. Then I get an email from the Premier's department asking me to speak on our contact tracing system for a Zoom meeting for the Premier's department, who doesn't, in fact, talk to the DHHS. This is the stuff that I couldn't say because I had to sign confidentiality stuff. Now I don't care. I'm like, you know what? I can't talk about the contents of that meeting, but I can say that I was invited to go and talk to a number of industries about how well we did contact Mm -hmm. tracing, but we weren't allowed to open. Yet you can walk into, let's say, the supermarket, no one checks your ID, you don't have to scan and there's no QR code. No. You know, people can go and rub an avocado, they can lick it, they can put it down. You know, but seriously, yeah, no. people, people are filthy. It's crazy. You know, they, they cough in their hand and then they grab a banana, I don't like that one, they put it down, then you come and grab it and you rub your eye. This is... Yet, yet every time you walk in the gym, you wipe down your equipment, you put your weights away, 
You know, we, I mean, we that's, that's protocol. They, not only that, they have to sanitise when they walk in. They have to have a towel. Mm. I mean, we went above and beyond. So then when when we looked like we we're going to look like opening again, I actually made a video. You would have seen it was a, uh, had a professionally made one. It cost me about $8,000. Mm. I had the old Muscle TV team yeah, come yeah. back in. And we, we did a video on how to keep safe in the gyms, how to wipe down equipment, how to sanitise, um, all the rules, how you had to wear a face mask on your way in. Now, no other sector did that. There was no video produced by the retail when they got to open again. The hospitality industry didn't show you a video of how to behave at a restaurant. Yet at my expense, I went and made a really detailed video and shared it with all the gym owners and use this. Mm. Here we go. I had it professionally made. You had a model in, did a hand model, the whole thing, showing how to do things properly so we could stay open. Yeah. So, um, all did you get much feedback? I mean, did the premier or his department did they engage with you and take on board your advice um, or anything like that? I was speaking to three ministerial advice, senior advisors to yeah. three different ministers. Um, but the disappointing thing was that we got you know, after all that first initial, yeah, when I went off, um, we we got to have a meeting with it was DHHS and Brett Sutton couldn't be there, so it was Alan Cheng, who's right. the assistant. He was the other guy that was always in the press conferences. Um, uh, with the Premier and you know I got a chance to talk straight to him and I went through and I said um, Professor where are you getting your facts from I'd just like to know that and and there was that and then the other thing was there was a gym he said in Hallam that had caused community transmission I said well tell us about that so I already knew the facts yeah. it wasn't a registered gym it was a backyard guy right that had people doing mma like grappling in his garage and there's all these families that went out together had barbecues together drink together you know probably other stuff i don't know but it wasn't even a commercial gym but what we did find out is how the disease got to that gym was two of the guards from the hotel quarantine thing that the government screwed up in the first yeah. place this is why they didn't want to say out loud where they were getting this false fact from mm. so it wasn't a real gym it came from their guards that they screwed up yeah. and i had this theory all along i said if you want to stop this pandemic when we're hitting 700 a day then we were paying for 60 hotels in melbourne to be empty because obviously they stopped the international flights mm. right so when someone, someone t- tests positive take them out of the system put them in the hotel feed their family pay their bills Give them three meals a day, say it's illegal for you to be fired while you're in this two-week quarantine. That's how you stop a pandemic. Right. And I'll level this at the government advisors or what would you know? What would you know? I said, well, it's a pretty sound reason to be. Like the, what, the guy that was COVID positive with us was actually from the, the um, flats that they shut down. Yeah. They told him to go home and isolate. He lived in a one, a two-bedroom flat with 10 people. Mm. Right, and then he had families out in the suburbs that um, maybe from the subcontinent or somewhere speak English as their second or third language, and they've got three families per home. That's right. So dad tests positive. They say go home and isolate. Where? In a dog kennel? Well, this is the thing. They've got one they bathroom can't. with three families. This is how it spread. This is why we went from 100 to 200 to 700 because yeah. it kept sending sick people home to their families. Yeah. This is crazy. Yeah. So I, It's funny. I, I, uh, I had corona. I had corona. I got it uh, 16 weeks ago, 18 weeks ago, and... Uh, just before the first lockdown, and I couldn't believe that I had it. And uh, um, I, I had I had a lunch. There were six of us at a lunch. Three of us ended up with corona. Three of, three of us didn't. And one of the guys I was at lunch with rang me to tell me he, he had got sick and contracted. I got tested and I caught it. Anyway, when I found out when they rang me, the guy said, "Oh, mate, you got you got coronavirus." I go, "Fuck off, mate." He goes, "No, no, you got it." I go, "I, I just thought I was hungover." Huh? Go, oh my god! I go, "What do I do?" He goes, "Stay inside." I go, "Yeah, yeah, I know." 
but what do I do? He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. Isolate from your family and stay inside. I go, yeah, mate, I've got that. But what do I do? How do I get healthy? Oh, can't help you with that. That's the next place phone call. And anyway, that's, but it was just so, it was disorganized chaos. And, it really uh, and, was. It and really look, was. And as I said earlier, I don't have a problem with them making mistakes. What I do have a problem with is they're not speaking to the right people and accessing the right information without being disrespectful towards Dan Andrews and his crew, but they're not in the gym uh, that often. They haven't gone to gyms. They the, don't understand this, it. Listen, Joe, that was my biggest problem. As they said, we're consulting with industries. They weren't consulting. Yeah. So back to what I originally said, we had this Zoom meeting with, with Alan Cheng mm. and asked him where he's getting his facts from, this and that. And then he asked us to present um, um, highest risk to lowest risk order of you know exercise sort of classes and yeah. different things. But then... This was what was crazy. He asked us to write a thing. So basically, we wrote the COVID plan for the government. We sent it to him. So I, I emailed him. I said, oh, I'm just wondering if we've got any feedback on what we see. No answer. I sent him six different emails. I had one of the union guys helping me to draft the email. So really, really uh, correctly written for government speak and all this sort of thing. I almost did a course in how to speak to government yeah. and how to lift on, on their level. So did all that, still no answer. So then I started getting a lot of media, as you know. So... Um, I did a video which went absolutely viral, and Peter Credlin of Sky News oh, saw yeah, it. Oh, yeah, she's great. Right, so she had she messaged me privately and said, "I've had over a hundred people send me this video in in twenty four hours. I need you on my show." No, I saw you on her show. Yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah. So that's when when I guess I became the spokesperson for the mm. fitness industry because everyone saw that and went crazy. She actually said that in the interview when she when she led you in, she said you'd had a hundred people. She yeah, said that on TV. Yeah, 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 right. So. So that was like, wow, okay. And um, she said, look, you're really passionate and very articulate and I'd like to get inside your head. So we, you know, we um, struck up a friendship and I got onto her, her program. She was a fantastic supporter. But then I started getting on Neil Mitchell and Tom Elliott and yeah. Seven, Nine, Ten. Yeah. So uh, dozens of media appearances through this. And through one of the media, I won't say which one, they said to me, did you hear back from Alan Ching when you sent him all these emails? I said, not one reply. Even though they kept saying we're consulting with the industries. <coughs> no, that's interesting. So they got his phone number. So I started texting him, calling him. <laughs> Never got a reply. Yeah. So this is what started to really shit me is they're not listening to us. They're not listening to the industry. All this talk about, oh, we're consulting with the, the right people. No, they're not. Mm. And, and we set up a group called Vic Active, which I became a part of. There was Fitness Australia, which I was a part of. None of them had any feedback. Mm. You know, we, we, we were talking to one of the ministerial advisors, but all he do is just pass on what he overheard and this and that. And it was crazy. But, you know, I think this year has been interesting because I think we all found out a lot about ourselves. Didn't we? We found out a lot about our strengths and our weaknesses and how we can improve our businesses and how we can maybe say, well, who could have thought this shit up? Like, for example, me, and I'm, I'm not one to complain. So I went to uh, Columbus, Ohio, to MC the Arnold Sports Festival over there. Mm. And, um, you know, the expo got cancelled the last minute in Ohio, and that was two weeks before our Arnold here. They'd not had a single case of, of, of coronavirus in the state of Ohio, and they, the governor cancelled the expo with no notice. They still allowed the pro bodybuilding to go ahead, which which I emceed with Arnold. Yep. That was cool. Got on a plane, came home. If I had have been on that weekend, I would have got away with it, but I was a week later. So five days before the Arnold Sports Festival here, we got shut down. They closed the Melbourne Exhibition and Convention mm. Centre. 
I lost 700 grand. Jesus. Um, I'd worked. And Paul said, well, didn't you get your money back from the venue? I said, yeah, lucky I did because I would have lost 1.2. Because I had eight staff on full time for 12 months. Oh, I paid you... all the advertising. Well, you would have seen billboards all over Everywhere. the freeways, all mm. the street posters, you know, all the Facebook ads, all the uh, in- infrastructure of running an office for 12 months, the build-up. Uh, we'd had all our signage printed. You know, like we have five different stages completely signed, you know, like yeah. hundreds of thousands. Anyway, so I copped it with, with five days' notice. Gee whiz, how did you, how did you reconcile with that? Well, it was, it's, uh, ironically, the Sunday night, so I still managed to do an amateur bodybuilding show, you know, where, so I just kept improvising because I thought all these amateurs that have trained for their pro card thing and then they shut up every venue in Melbourne. So at five venues I kept booking They'd close the doors, lock the doors in Moorabbin, in Mooney Ponds here, there. So I found a guy with a warehouse that allowed me to set up a stage in it and you were still allowed to have 100 people inside. Yeah. So financially we, we copped it because I couldn't even pay the cost. Of the but we put the event on and I got home on the Sunday night and we're having, I just live here in the city, we're having a drink on the balcony and I lit up a cigar and I go, wow, this should have been the closing night of the Arnold. Yeah. One of my mates called and said, you should turn on your TV. Ah, he goes, turn on your TV. This is Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, saying all gyms close tomorrow at 12 noon. Oh, you've copped it again. Same day. Oh, so mate. I'm thinking, how good is this? Oh, so, I'm, down, so, I'm 700 down and now they're going to close my gyms on me. Yep, and, and we hadn't closed. So when I, when I opened Doherty's in, in Western Street in 1998, we moved, well, I moved to Melbourne in 1994 with nothing. You know, slept on the couch at the gym, had a, bust, a truckload of busted equipment, a big dream. 98, we outgrew that and opened Australia's first staffed 24-hour gym. There was no other one in Australia at the time. Threw away the keys. I said, I'm never going to shut the doors again. I'm going to be staffed every hour, every minute of every day forever until March 23rd this year when we were forced to close down. So first thing I did was went, ah, what the... I haven't got any keys. So the the keys for the one in um, Banana Alley I threw into the Arrow River. <laughs> Dan and I, we threw them into the back of a, um, uh, uh, you know, one of those uh, trucks that collects the bins. Yeah. And Brunswick, I threw them over into the car park 21 years ago. So first thing I did was call a locksmith <laughs> before he put his prices up. <laughs> then, we'll, then we'll shut for 13 weeks. Yeah. And I said, okay, this is, this is a great reset. Let's, let's just be smart about it. Mm. Um, we ceased all membership payments. We had no income whatsoever. But we, we got a chance to insulate the gym, to polish the concrete, to do all this stuff that mm. always thought, gee, if I wasn't open 24 hours, I'd love yeah. to do this and this and this. So it was actually almost good, I think, for everyone. I think a lot of businesses had a good renovation, this and this. Then we opened for two weeks. Had the best two weeks we've ever had, thank God. And then within, I think it was 12 hours' notice, then the Premier said we're going to go into stage four lockdown. Yeah. You can't even leave your house. We're shutting down again. And he said six weeks and went for 141 days. Mm. So we were effectively closed 29 out of 31 weeks with zero income after losing my 700 at the Arnold. And then I do a series of bodybuilding shows every October, one in each state with the the nationals being on um, in Melbourne or Queensland or whatever. We had to cancel that whole series. That's my other stream of income. So this is not um, uh, opportunity cost or, or profit that I've lost. This is actual lost money mm. so it's been like a million dollar hit for the year Jeez, um, without taking into account what we may have made if things had been good mm. this is just what i actually lost but you know i never complained once never whinged or sulked or got down in the dumps about it. i thought you know this can either define you 
or destroy you. Yeah. Make a fucking choice. Be an adult. Grow up and say, okay, which, which guy am I going to be? Mm. Mr. Sad Sack? Or find something positive, inspire others to get through it, dig deep and become a better leader. Yeah. So this is what I did. Yeah, interesting. I mean, that, that analogy you just did then, where it can define me or it can defeat me. I mean, there's so many things that happen in our lives, whether it, uh, a long-term relationship ends or we lose a loved one or something fucks up in business where it's, there's one or two roads you can take. Yeah. Um, sometimes we go down that road of defeatism, right, and we are pretty depressed and then something happens and snaps us out of it. Some of us snap out of it pretty quickly. Some of us take a long time. The last thing you want to do is go down that road because there's, there's no joy there, is there? Yeah. Hey, look, I've been to hell and back, man. I've been broke. I, as I said, when I first moved to Melbourne... What, what made you make the decision? I mean, you're a Bendigo boy, grew up in Bendigo. You had a gym in Bendigo, is that right? Yeah. I, I, look, I bought a gym that I worked at, basically got my parents to, to put their house up so we buy this gym, paid too much for it. It went bad. I, I just outgrown the town. I, you know, I was going down the wrong path, you know, late nights and doing all the sort of things you wouldn't want your son to do. Um, so how old this, were you in 94 when you came uh, to Melbourne? 20, 28, 29. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, I'm not going to make it to 30 if I keep going like this. I, I really need to get the fuck out of here. Mm. So came down here with nothing. Um, I opened up this warehouse. I, I had a, a $250,000 debt against my, my mum and dad's house. I had all this broken equipment, no staff, no money, no education, no nothing. Just this burning desire to make it work. So funny story, and I talk about this when I do my, my relentless seminars, but um, what I did for the first year, and I never told anyone at the time, but back then we used to open at 6 and close at 9 or 10 at night. So I'd sleep at the gym on a couch. I had three, three possessions in my life. I had a, a couch, a vertical grill, like one of those toasters that yeah. you do chicken breasts in, yeah. and, a, and a, a rice cooker. That was it. Yeah. Never have a TV, nothing. Yeah. I had a bag of clothes, a duffel bag with my clothes in it, and a garbage bag with my shoes in it. And I'd sleep on the couch at the gym, get up at 5, 5.30, have a shower. I'd walk up here to Sydney Road to McDonald's mm. and get a coffee. Next to it was a news agent at the time, I'd grab a paper and I'd walk back and by then all the people would be waiting for the gym to open. I'd be like, good morning, everyone, as if I got off the tram yeah. or, or came from my imaginary home. <laughs> and, and, and then at night, I'd close the gym and there's this big um, sliding door at the thing. We'd padlock it and doors down and everything. Then I'd go into the car park and hide behind the trees and wait for everyone to drive off then let myself back in, sleep. sleep, repeat. And, and you know, and, and if we were having a tough week, I'd just eat tuna out of a can and rice. And if we were having a good week, I might get a chicken breast or a steak. I didn't go out. I didn't do nothing. But what it did, um, you know, I, I was this jacked up bodybuilding and I was doing all sorts of things. Um, I'd been bouncing and debt collecting and, you know, mm. working nights to keep the doors open, all this sort of thing. So what, I, what that did to me, it was destroyed my ego. It, it gave me true humility. I like here I am thinking I'm shit hot. Mm. I'm sleeping. I'm, I'm homeless, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I had uh, this old car I was doing up in this Jeep, uh, this busted Jeep I was driving around. I remember one month the power got sold, uh, cut off, so one of my mates bought the Jeep so I could get the power put on, and I traded the other car I had for a lap pull-down machine. So mm. here I am about to turn 30. I'm homeless. I'm sleeping on the couch. I don't have a vehicle. Mm. I don't have anything, and I've still got this huge debt. Yeah, right. Which took me funny. Um, I only finished paying that debt off about two years ago. Yeah, right. Against my parents' house, it was one of the greatest days of my life. It would have been, yeah. You know, and it just people think it's come easy, but it's like twenty years in the making. Yeah, you're a twenty-year overnight success. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's how it got started, man. And then um, tell me, Tony. Let me ask you a question. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, and I'm please, trying to cut off a bloke that can bench four fifty pound. Um, 
probably that's I'm probably going a bit light on you there. Um, tell me this: what made you get into gyms and lifting weights in the first place? You know, when I was when I was a kid, I don't know what age. I just didn't want to be like everyone else. I just I never bought the dream they were selling. You know, they'd come and they'd have these careers days at school. I remember, and they'd bring people in to say, "Oh, they'd bring people in from the bank." You know, you can work in the bank, or you can be an accountant. Kind of, so you're a super smart kid. You could be a, a lawyer. You could be a barrister. You could be a surgeon. So I, I, I found school really easy. I never did any homework. I bummed around, did everything I shouldn't. And back then, they didn't sort of have any programs for um, you know advanced kind of thinking kids. It was like just wait for everyone else to catch up. So I became very disruptive. Got chucked out of school. Never finished it, all that. But I, I, I guess I was, I don't know, pretty early on, I just knew that I didn't want to work in a, in a, in a boxy office. I didn't want to be told what to do. I wanted to find a way to work for me. Mm. Then when I was about 14, and this is the irony in this circle of life, and it's funny how it connects, I was watching, I guess it was the Don Lane show or the Mike Walsh show or something with my dad. I was just a kid, and I guess I was about to turn 14, and this guy comes on with his massive arms and his thick accent. And it was Arnold. Oh, wow. And he came on to promote a book called um, The Education of a Bodybuilder. And he was doing like a global tour because he was very good at self-promoting. Mm. And I saw this guy and I'm like, what the hell is that? And Dad said, it's, it's a bodybuilder. I go, what, what are those things in his arms? He goes, they're veins. Mm. I go, can anyone look like that? And Dad's like, well, I guess so. You know, you should research it. But mm. you get some muscle magazines or something. But, yeah, I guess if that's what you want to do, you can. Um, be clean up your diet, you're a bit tubby, or whatever he said, I yeah. can't remember. But I'm just looking at him, and it wasn't just the muscles. I saw the charisma of this guy, and I thought, mm. here's a guy that's just mastered English, doing a world tour, mm. so confident. Like he came mm. across as this alpha, mm. confident dude. Yeah. And I just went, click, I'm going to be a bodybuilder, a gym owner, and a promoter. And that's it. And I went to my mum and dad and said, I don't want ever anything else from you guys. I don't want to send, I don't want any pocket money, I don't want. Take me out of the will, give that to my brothers and sisters. I'm going to go work for myself. I'm going to leave school as soon as I can. And that's what I'm going to do. So um, to me, it was just like I just knew all along. How's the circle of life in your life then coming back and being a business partner with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah. Well, it's funny. I went to the Arnold Classic the first time. How did you time. get that gig? Well, I'll tell you the, the quickest version I can. So I went to the Arnold Classic, which has now been going for 32 years in Columbus, Ohio. When he finished being governor in 2011, he decided to take um, take one version of it to each continent. Yes. So back in, I guess, 91 or 92, I went there for the first time. It started in 88, so it was, I guess, the third year. And it was pretty small, but it was like an expo, and I'd never seen an expo. I was a kid from the bush mm. that went to this Arnold Classic. And I remember everyone was going and saying, oh, look at the bodybuilders, look at the hot chicks, look at the powerlifting, look at the, you know... The, the models going around in bikinis giving away free protein bars. I'm like, I'm going to bring this to Australia one day. That's all I can think of yeah. is I'm going to create this. So then um, in 2001, I started Australia's first pro bodybuilding show, which is now the third longest running show in the world. Um, and I always wanted to add an expo to that component. Then in 2011, when Arnold said he was going to take it worldwide, I thought, mm, I better get started. So I started an expo here. Um, in 2011 called uh, FitX, which oh. I started as a startup with nothing. And I took on all the big fitness expos in Australia. And I thought, I'm going to build this amazing sport and fitness expo based on the Arnold Classic that I've been to now. I've been there like 10 times. I'm going to base it on that so that when Arnold looks at Australia, 
I'm the only person that, that comes to mind. I'm the only person that gets recommended to him. Yeah. Wherever he looks, someone's going to say, Tony Doherty is your guy. Yeah. So I spent four years doing that to put myself in that position. And he, so first he went from Columbus and he did his next one in Madrid in Spain. Then a year later he said, right, now we're going to take over South America and he chose Brazil. And I remember he was doing a speech in Brazil and someone sent me like the YouTube or something and he said, the next continent we take over is going to be Australia. So if I could just sat there and waited for the phone to ring. <laughs> and, and sure enough, you know, like well, I can just sit next to the phone, but <laughs> you know, within, within weeks um, his business partner had reached out to me and said, we want you to fly to Las Vegas to meet the team. We've got something we want to discuss with you. So we went and did that and then um, they said, okay, well, Seems good. And they flew out to Melbourne and um, they said, this is the greatest city for an expo like this because, you know, your convention center is right in the middle of the city. And I took them up the river and showed them the MCG and the tennis center. And um, in fact, we went to the Australian Open. We did all this cool stuff. And they said, okay, now you have to come to Columbus in March and you get a chance to present your case to Arnold. And he gives us a nod, you're our partner for Australia. Right. So off I went to Columbus and here I am, you know, I've done a million speeches and always done public speaking and this sort of thing. And uh, we get to this meeting and there was a table there from uh, for Africa who were looking at it for the following year. China, we never worked out. Brazil, Spain, the Columbus team and Australia. So there's six tables set up with 10 spots at each one, you know, with all cutlery and glasses and dinners and all this sort of thing. And I rocked up on my own. So all the rest of them had this whole... Entourage. Entourage. <laughs> you know, like a, a, um, a collection of the right people, you know, the person from tourism and someone from the government, this yeah. and that. And here's me, bush kid, sitting there, shit. <laughs> but I had a new suit made and everything else. <laughs> then his partner, um, with 50 years, Jim. So Jim, you're on the table of 10, only sitting one, in one yeah, chair. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and which worked out good because he, his partner got up and made this speech. He said, Arnold will be here in a minute. He goes, but I want one person from each delegation to get up and say why they should be the Arnold partner. Yes. So Spain, you're already in. Brazil, you're already in. But you other four, you've got a chance to present your case to the governor. Mm. So he walks in and he goes, you know, what, what the hell are you doing sitting there on your own? Come and sit at my table. So I went and sat down next to him and we just clicked. Oh, wow. So I got up and everybody made this speech about, um, you know, the economic viability and the money. And I got up and I said, listen, I'm really passionate about this. I built this expo um, over four years. For this reason. For this moment. Yeah. To show you that I can do it, to show you that I'm the only choice thing. And I said, I, I, I don't have a lot of backing. I don't have government support. I don't have anything. I said, I've got more passion than anyone you will ever meet. And I give you my word. If you give me a chance, I'm going to go home right now. I'm going to work for 365 days straight. I'm going to blow your fucking mind. Yeah. And everyone clapped. And I got down. He came in and gave us a big hug. He goes, it was fantastic. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and, and then, and then uh, they said, well, you should come to all the other Arnolds around the world and you know, become part of the, the family. And I guess because I was the English-speaking one, you know, because the Spanish girl and so on, um, we just became really close. So the next one I went to was in Brazil and we hung out there and ended up fixing up his security because that was busted and, you know, become a little Mr. Fix-It sort of guy mm -hmm. on the tour. And then I got an opportunity to start doing the interviews with him around the world. Then they said, you can talk, you can handle the media. So he trained me. Um, and I guess now, having just done all this stuff with the gym industry, all the media training that he came gave me really came back yeah. to fruition. Even though we never called it media training, I hosted all of his press conferences. Mm. So his assistant would come and say, this, he doesn't want to talk about Donald Trump or mm. we don't want to get into politics. We're here to talk about the, 
the fitness crusade. Yeah. So if the media starts going this way, you're going to be the guy that's going to shut them down and mm. redirect things. Because you've had experience in shutting people down in other methods, but now you're using your voice. Right, yeah. right, right, yeah. right. And, and and so I became, I've always been good at talking. You know? mm. So um, he recognised that and he gave me an opp- the opportunity of my life. So yeah. for the last six years, all I've done is travel. You know, I've just been on the road um, five or six months every year and then I do interviews um, of all the winners at the other shows around the world, a whole lot of stuff. It's been it's been a, an amazing ride, you know. You know, Tony, uh, is, I, I'm really grateful that you've shared your story so gracefully and with so much generosity. Um, but you've, you're a man of many talents. Um, you were at one stage the strength and conditioning coach at the Carlton Footy Club. Is that correct? Is correct, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. How did yeah. you enjoy that, working uh, in the AFL environment? Well, I, I loved it. You know, it was sort of one of the big turning points for me because when I got the job, I was still at Union Street. It was before we'd gone 24 hours. Yeah. And they'd advertised for a weights coach. And one of my members brought in and goes, you should do this. And at, the start, at that time, I was training Ange Christou, Anthony Cutafides, Jonathan Hay, Corey McKernan, Jason McCartney and about five. So I was trying about 10 top AFL guys. I think three made all Australian mm. one year that I trained them. So, you know, I called the club. They said, oh, you know, you've got to bring in a resume. Now I'm 38. I've never been for a job interview in my life. Yeah. You know, and uh, I thought, shit, resume. You know, with your qualifications mm. and your university degrees. I'm like, shit. Mm. Here we go. So ding, I thought I'm going to go about it a little bit differently because this is what you have to do. Mm. You've got to think outside the box, you know, and this is a message to anyone that gets told they can't do anything. Don't hear impossible, hear possible. Everything's possible. So, all right, I'm going to outsmart them. So I went to each of the players I was training. I said, can you write a paragraph explaining why I'm the best weights coach and the most motivating person you've ever met and what I've actually done for your career? So Kuda, mm. Ange Christou. Like, Ange Christou had been chronically injured and I got him back on the field. Yeah. He goes, if it wasn't for this guy... I wouldn't be playing. Kuda said I wouldn't look like I do. Fadner. Kuda still him. looks magnificent, doesn't he? He's magnificent. Fine, oh, fine specimen know, of a man. Fine specimen. And genetically so gifted that made me look good. Anyway, <laughs> so I rocked him with basically 10 things on a page, mm. dropped in and said, I'm probably not going to get an interview, but um, maybe you should call these guys. I'll put all their mobile numbers on so you can check me out. So I got an opportunity to have an interview and um, oh, those aren't going to go. Any further, that was like Barry Mitchell, Ross Lyon, and some and Cole Kinnear, I think. Mm. And Dennis came in at the end of it. Anyway, um, he said, I'd like to give this guy another interview. And he sat in on the next one. And he just grabbed me. He said, son, he goes, I like your passion. I like what you bring to the table. I don't care about all this university business. He goes, you're going to be part of my team. Yeah, wow. And we're still great mates. He still trains down here with me at Brunswick. And yeah. he's been, he's honestly been one of my greatest mentors. And I remind him all the time and, he says, oh, come on, mate. He goes, you had it all. But I learned so many great lessons from him. And there's one I always share in my seminars. And that's to, he said to me once, he said, everyone's got an invisible sign around their neck that says they want to feel important. He said, it doesn't take much. Uh, wow. How many leaders just forget that little essence of, yeah. so I, I remember one day we were down here at Optus Oval, we were playing, it was, a, it was a big game. And I just followed him and I watched him and it, he went up to the boot stutters little, he used to have this little sort of hole in the wall office mm. and he went up, his name was Frankie Finn, he's passed away now, but I remember he went up to me, he said, hey Finney, he said, I just want to remind you mate, he said, I couldn't do what I'd do without you. He said, the players would be slipping all over the place, you tell them which studs to put in their boots, you make sure they've got their socks pulled up when they run out and he said, you're a very important part of my team. And he went up to the lady that cut up the oranges and said, mm. you know, 
I'll give them blokes a cook at half time or three quarter time. At least they can go and get a bit of orange of you. And Thursday nights when you bring that pastor in, yeah. he goes, a lot of them are away from home. It's a whole lot of their week. You're a very important part of my team. He come up and he grabbed me. He used to grab you on the wrist and he said, son, he said, your people skills were unbelievable. He said, when I, when we have a bad loss and I absolutely cane them and berate them and do what I do, I know that when they come into the gym Monday morning, you're going to fix them. You're going to, you're going to pick up their spirits. It's not just the exercise. It's what you do. And, and I felt like, even though I've been watching him, yeah. he made me feel like a million dollars. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, this is one of the greatest business lessons I've ever had. So, you know, I, 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 I've talked a lot about this online. You know, I make sure like our window washer, our cleaners, everything. I go up, I, I hug them, I buy them coffee. So at Doherty's gym, we've got a policy. Every single courier that comes in with a parcel, mm. they get a free water or, or a hot cappuccino. Mm. You know, because why not? Who else? Because they're stakeholders of your business, aren't they? Really, that's an well. They just get treated like shit all day. Yeah, they go in yeah. and people go, oh, "I'm on the phone, man. Give me a minute." Yeah, they're getting like a dollar a delivery. Yeah, I'm like, make the guy a coffee. It's a hot day. Give him a water. Yeah. it costs you fifty no. cents or something. No. Anyway, so I always thought that, like, the little people are your army. Mm. You know, so if you make them feel important, and then when people talk behind your back or shit starts or whatever, I've got an army of people. They're going to go back. Wait a minute. No, no, you don't know what he did for me or my family when we were hungry or you don't know this. You don't. So Dennis was a great mentor. So five years working at the Carlton Footy Club, you know, I wasn't good enough to play, but I barracked for Carlton all my life because Bendigo was their zone. Yeah, right. So I grew up singing the Carlton theme song. Yeah. So for me to get the keys to Princess Park to Optus Oval at the time, I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, I got to run out on the MCG because then, you know, they realised I was kind of strong and stuff. So I go out with the tackle bags before the games and the players, boom, bump off me. So I went out on the MCG and, you know, Eddie had stadium and all these places. That's a kid's and travel. dream. It was unbelievable. Yeah. But then that gave me – see, everything I've done has strategically been a stepping stone to something else. It was the same time that Muscle TV had just started. Yeah. So all of a sudden I had a higher profile and I wasn't this thug. Mm guy anymore, this guy from the bush, I was this guy, shit, he's a waste trainer here, he hosts a TV show, you know, he's promoting these shows and he's running expos and he's partners with Arnold. So it's helped my brand to grow, which has given me a lot more confidence to be able to speak well and to be, you know, what I I guess what I've evolved to become. But anyone can do it. But Tony, I think think one of your uh, most warming gifts that you bring to the table is your humility. I mean... Uh, you, you're quite gracious in the way you communicate. You, you're quite uh, generous with what you give. You know, you've used your profile for the industry, not for Doherty's gym, but you've used it for the industry to help out every other gym owner. Yeah. Tell me what it was like. You trained Sonny Schmidt. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I knew Sonny. He used to also train at Ascot Vale Gym, and I trained there for a while. And he's a, he was a very big, strong man. And he was he ranked... He went pretty high in this. Yeah, world. he went to the Mr. Olympia. He won the Masters Olympia. Um, yeah. So when I started promoting bodybuilding, it's like 1988 or something. I was just a, a, a kid. I was like 24 years old, and yeah. and I got a chance to promote um, a show. And I thought, well, I need a superstar. And he there'd been another federation which didn't amount to anything. So I just went and knocked on his door and just said, "Listen, I'm the new promoter for Victoria. Should work with me." And I remember. Um, Oh, he just yelled out for the lounge. He goes, fuck off, man. I don't trust promoters. Yeah. Anyway, I said, give me a chance, man. I just drove from Bendigo yeah. just to see you. Can I just at least come in? He goes, I'll give you five minutes. So I came in and we talked. And 
Um, we became best mates. So I worked with him until he got his pro card. Then I took him to his first pro show in, in Niagara Falls um, uh, in Buffalo, New York, which I actually got to MC. And then I turned to his next show, which was in New York City at the Beacon Theatre. And by then I knew the people in the bodybuilding world and they said, oh, you're that Aussie guy with the big voice. Can you MC a show? So I MC'd a show at 20... Five years old in the Beacon Theatre on Broadway in New York. Oh, yeah, and that was on TV and everything else. So, Boy from Bendigo on yeah, Broadway. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I remember standing back there just going, how did I get here? Yeah, you know? I don't belong here. But then Sonny and I, you know, we travelled together for, for 10 years. Yeah. Um, he moved to the States after that. And then he got into a bit of strife over there. And, you know, there was, there was a lot of, like, um, painkiller abuse and that sort of mm-hmm. thing in bodybuilding in that uh, early 90s. I said, man, you better come home. You're going to, you know... This is not going to end well. So when I first opened at Union Street, him and I trained there for three or four Mr. Olympias in a row. And then when I went 24 hours, he did the night shift for the first few oh, months. Right. Yeah. So he was like my big brother because I didn't have a big brother. Yeah. So um, we were very, very close. And he taught me, I guess, even though he had broken English and he wasn't highly educated, um, I'm very well known for you know what I teach now, what I did with Muscle TV and what I'm doing now with training people is the mind-muscle connection and how mm. to actually train properly. Yeah. The stuff you can't learn from a book or the internet mm. or YouTube. Mm. I learned so much from him mm. and forever grateful, you know. I know that when I first started training at Victory uh, Gym in Airport West, one of the things, I was a 17-year-old skinny little kid and what I did was I just looked at the strongest or the fittest blokes in the gym and I just went up to them and asked them and, and just copied them and they taught me how to do triceps properly. They told me the triceps were more important than biceps and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I remember this one bloke, we used to call him the captain, and, and he would always start off with the hardest exercises. And he said, you know, so when I do back, the first thing I do is chin-ups. Yep. Because chin-ups is an honest man's exercise, right? You can't cheat on chin-ups. You either lift yourself up or you don't, you know? And it, it sounds to me that you've gone deeper than that, obviously. And you find, it looks like you glean various different leadership traits from different people, whether it be Arnold Schwarzenegger, Dennis Pagan, Sonny Schmidt, or whoever it is. How have you taken that into your business life and what are the important traits that you consider important to be a good leader? Well, I think you said it before, is, is one is humility. Mm. Two is and part of this remembering where you've come from and never talking down to people. Yeah. See, I, I, I find it terrible and I've met a lot of superstars. Um, you know, I've travelled with the WWE. I know most of the guys in the UFC um, I've met a lot of actors through Arnold. I've actually been out on the movie ranches with him. I've driven in his tank. Mm. I've done some cool shit. Yeah, I, don't wanna, yeah. I don't want to sound cocky a bit nah. talk about that. But I've seen some people, not him, he, he, he's a gentleman, but I've seen people, um, perhaps uh, celebrity-style people or, or leadership-style people, that when the cameras are off, they're complete assholes. Yeah. And they talk down to waiters or they yell at their driver, mm. or they just treat people like little people and don't make them feel important, the opposite of what Dennis taught me. Mm. Whereas Arnold, I've never seen him be anything but gracious in a restaurant or speak to, to a waiter or a waitress and make them feel important mm. and so on. And I've taken that from him. So I think one of the things is that, is just to always be you know kind to people. It costs you nothing. Mm. Boo respect you so much more for it. The other one is if, if you've got a business, don't ever ask anyone to do something you wouldn't do yourself. So if, if there's an accident in the gym, so there's an accident in the toilet, there's vomit or a, a leaky tap, whatever, I'm the first one to grab a mop, even now, to this yeah. day, because I want to see the, the staff to see that if I'm willing to do it, if I'm willing to get my hands and knees, and I've got my hands and knees in a suit and scrub the floor because there's someone spilled a protein drink, whatever it may be, I think that you should never ask someone to do something you wouldn't do yourself. You know, because then when you're not there, 
Yeah. The first thing they're going to do is, well, I know what the boss would do. That's right. And they do it with dignity and pride. Mm-hmm. And I take great pride. So how I got my first job in, in the gym, let's go way back. In Bendigo, the guy wouldn't give me a job. He said, well, get yourself in shape. And I got in shape and did my first concert. He still wouldn't give me a job. So we'll go to fitness school and get like a, it was the very early days it was, and it was called now it's cert three and four. I think it was called the fitness lead. It was like a six week course or whatever. And I'd hitchhike down to Melbourne to do this course or whatever it took, catch a bus, train, borrow money. It was like six weeks anyway. He still wouldn't give me a job. So finally I said, Listen, how about this? Your toilets are filthy. So what about if I came in every single night and cleaned your toilets for free? I said, and I'll make those fuckers shine. I will <laughs> I will be the best toilet cleaner you've ever seen. And this is how I got a job in the gym. So for three months I went in there and then it became morning and night and they cleaned their spa. They had a spa and I saw and I'd clean them. Then I saw the, the silicons coming out from the shower. I'll fix that. And I got I went and bought like, you know, um, uh, toilet brushes and toothbrushes, little brushes and domestos and all these gloves and shit. And I became really good at cleaning yeah. toilets. I'm still really good at cleaning toilets. Yeah. And I thought that's, that's what you got to do. You got to be willing to do anything, you know, and then to take great pride in it. See to me, I get a buzz of seeing someone who's a great toilet cleaner yeah. or a great TV man or a great commentator or a great coach. But also get great um, satisfaction if I'm travelling and I get in a cab or Uber with a guy who says, this is my city. Do you know, yeah. in 1889 they built this here. This is where this guy landed, you know. Right. And they got pride in their work. Mm-hmm. And to me this is the greatest thing you should do. And I always say to people, find something that you love doing. So well, how do I know when I found it? And I've said, that's really easy. It wakes you up in the morning. It keeps you awake at night. You can't think about anything else. You forget to eat. You forget to sleep. You become so obsessed when you find your passion. So I've been really fortunate in life that I've, I've only that's all I've ever done. It's yeah. followed my my heart, my dreams, my passion. You know, when I left school, I went and worked on. You know, I was seventeen. I was gone. I was working in prawn tra- on prawn trawlers in the Gulf of Carpentaria and main roads and mines and all sorts of stuff to get myself ready to come down and become the gym owner, promoter, bodybuilder I wanted to be. And I, I think, you know, it's a funny thing because when I do my seminars, I uh, have a, a series of seminars I do called Relentless Momentum and I have a question and answer thing after me talking about my ups and downs and life and good and bad and all the rest of it for a couple of hours. And there's a question always comes up and it's like, you know, what makes you the way you are or what's your greatest fear? And it's the same thing. And it's dying with regret. So what I do now, because I got good at this, is I turn the lights down and I look at them all and I go, you're all going to die. You're one day closer today than you were yesterday. I'm sorry to be the one to tell you, I said, but it's going to come. You know, no one lives forever. And there's going to be a time where you're lying there knowing it's your last day on earth, unless you have a freaky accident. But mostly, now do you want to look back and say, Wow, what a ride. Or do you want to look back knowing that you have regret because you didn't have the balls to do something you really wanted to do, that you didn't have the courage to take a chance or to back yourself or to risk everything that mattered? You know, I said, so make a choice. And just think about this. Everyone's going to have a look back at their life and they're going to go, you know what, I was just like everyone else. Or you say, you know what, (laughs) I did it on my own terms. I had a blast. So I've always known this and I try and share that with people. So if you're not happy with what you're doing, Fucking 
Turn it upside down. It's interesting you say that. One of the guests we've had on here is a guy called Cameron Schwab, who's a mentor of mine and a client of ours, and um, he does some leadership training with with our partnership group and and our leaders in our organisation. And he talks about uh, do you want to pay, uh, create a path for the child or the child for the path? And traditionally, we'd we'd make the child fit onto the path, whereas now he's saying create your own path for your kid. And you know, as a parent, you're a parent yourself, or you're a business owner, you're a leader, you're a mentor. I think it's really important that you don't have to fit into the norm. You've got to do what's right for you and excel at what's right for you. Now, before we finish up, Tony, I've I, I, I really enjoyed this, but it's going to be remiss of me not to ask you a couple of other things if I can. Shoot. You're 55, 56? Yeah, just turned 56 two weeks ago. Happy birthday. Um, you're as fit as fuck, right? What do you do? How do you train? What do you eat? And how do you train? So, okay. So the second, look, I've always trained. Mm. But um, to, sort of for your muscles to show and to look good. Mm. Have you seen some recent pictures? Yeah, been, been pictures. Um, So the second lockdown, I knew it was going to be really tough. Mm. In the first lockdown, because I turned the gym upside down, I literally pulled all the equipment out. I pulled the floors up. So I couldn't train. It was just like a mess. Mm. But I was on the tools the whole time. But, you know, I got in the habit of, um, of you know, eating burgers at lunch and then I had tradies in there. So I'd cook them because I've got a grill there. I love serving people. So I'd cook them breakfast every morning with egg and bacon and cheese sandwiches and hash browns. And, you know, I come out of the first lockdown, you know, probably a little bit um, hefty. And I thought when the second one hit, I just knew from day one, this is going to be really hard. This is no six weeks. This thing's going to go on and on. This guy's Daniel Andrews. And by then, you know, because I'd been working with the government, I could I could see the writing on the wall. And so I just made a choice. I said, you know what? Why don't you use this one to get in shape? Why don't you eat clean? Now, I couldn't go and sit in my apartment every day. And luckily, I've got an online business and I'm building an event centre next door, which we'll talk about later because there's some stuff you'd love there. So during that second lockdown, so the first lockdown was uh, 13 weeks. I went in every single day, seven days a week and renovated and worked my ass off and broke fingers and nails and all sorts of things. The second lockdown, I thought, I'm going to get up. I'm going to keep my schedule. I'm going to get up at six every morning, go to the gym, work out, cook my food the night before and take it with me. So it's all nutrition. Mm. So I decided to eat clean. So for that second lockdown, I literally took my food into work every single day. Mm. I did an hour's cardio every morning. Then I'd just do, you know, catch up on some emails, like some stuff I never got a chance to do, making some lists for the future, some stuff, because there's no people there. Mm. But I couldn't just go and sit at home. I'd go mental. Yeah, and and then... Um, then after lunch, I'd train like a body part. Then I'd do some more work in the office. Then I'd do another body part before I went home. Mm. Then maybe go for a walk in the city at night. So I was really, really active. Yeah. I ate really clean. The only thing I did is I drank too much. And I think everyone did in that second lockdown. <laughs> I reckon I drank – well, the first one, I reckon I had a bottle of wine every night for the first – that 13 weeks. Yeah, that's second a good effort. <laughs> just being honest, you know. I think a lot of people go, oh, no, no, I didn't do that. I did. I drank like a fish. And then the second one, I thought, well, I'm eating clean, but I can probably just – Still, just slot some vodka into it, and this mm. and that, you know. And it was it was a long and lonely and difficult time for so many people. Mm. So, well, okay, just accept that and, and understand it. But you got to understand your own psychology and what's going to send you the wrong way. For me, I need routine. Mm. I needed to get up every morning, and go to the gym because that's what I've done my whole life. Mm. So I thought, geez, be easy to sit at home and just you know mm. watch Netflix. So I never had Uber Eats once because mm. I could see people just every time I see them, it's like. 
you're 20% bigger than last week. <laughs> I'm like, everyone's getting fat. I thought, you know what? Because I always like to do the unexpected. Yeah. So I thought everyone's going to come out of ISO completely mm. out of shape. Yeah. I'm going to come out of ISO Ripped. and look better than when I was 30 mm. or 40. So yeah. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I made a choice. So I just, just attacked it. Yeah, you certainly do look uh, pretty fit. Before we go, I've just got a few more questions if I can. You know, one of the things that you're doing at the moment is you're offering um, a two-hour session, is that right, uh, for people to, to learn how to train and to learn what you do? How's, yeah. that, how's that going? Well, I haven't done any personal training for, I guess, seven years. So once I started travelling with the Arnold Circus, mm. it was too much for me to even think. It was hard to work in the gym and to expand that part of the the business, let alone one-on-one with me, was in no time. Yeah. So because we're not able to travel internationally, mm. um, I thought, well, I've got some time in my sleep and I'm always getting people wanting me to train them and to mentor them. Yeah. So what I did, I said, look, I want to price it, the thing that pays for my time. I want to make it you know, almost exclusive because I don't want a whole lot of clients. Yeah. So I just you know, put a post up and um, I think I had four bookings that week. I think I've got seven this week. Yeah. I charge them 500 bucks for two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and what generally happens is it's an hour of teaching people a very specific way of putting your mind into your muscle, which is only a few people in the world can really can do what I do with that without sounding cocky. And, and sometimes people just want to talk and do what we're doing now. Yeah. And I had one guy call this morning. He goes, can we do that without the training? I just need, I need you to help me sort my head out. Yeah. And, and I know how strong you are and he's going through some hard... So, yeah, it's your two hours. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. So um, so I just decided to make myself available. The other thing is, and I'm always very open and honest, I've had no income since March 23rd. I haven't been this broke in 20 years, man. I've had... I lost all that money with the Arnold. Then yeah. the gym shut. I didn't get the job keeper. I supported 55 families because I've got three gyms in my promotions business and my other business. Right through lockdown, I didn't fire anyone. I kept them all on. I could have easily have just said, I'll cut you back to three days a week. Yeah. But you know what? So I used everything I had to keep them alive. But in the meantime, I, 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 oh, I've got to do something. Yeah, so I thought, well, this is why I can help people and just generate a bit of cash in the meantime you know, while things warm up again. So I decided I'll just try it out and, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, every client that I've had said, yeah, they learn more in two hours than what they they would normally yeah, than what they've learned, say, in 10 years. Yeah, I was going to say And someone said years. to me, oh, yeah, okay, well, one of the social media said, oh, that's so expensive. Who do you think you are? I'm like, well, you pay your trainer 100 bucks an hour and he hasn't got a fucking clue. Mm. So really, that's more expensive than learning well, from someone who can teach you. That's right. Like, if, you, if you're in strife, right, and you don't get a barrister, you can get a really cheap, cheap one, one or you can get the best in the business. And I'm sure the best barrister in Melbourne or in Victoria in Australia charges a bucket load because they're really good at what they do. Yeah. Okay, unashamedly, I'm really good at what I do. I just haven't been available. So I'm not going to charge the same rate as some schmuck that's done a, a six-week course and watched YouTube. Yeah. Okay, so you're paying for a life of experience and, a, and an eye that can detect posture and different stuff. So um, it's, it's, it's been a bit of fun, actually. I've been enjoying it. I, I Look, the other way of looking at it is they don't have to pay the 500. If they don't want it, don't take it. You're not forcing down anyone's throat. No, 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 no. Yeah. I'll knock people, actually knock people back. I've yeah. had a couple and they're just delusional. I go, man, I'd I, I end up punching you in the face. I can't. <laughs> I, I couldn't work with someone like you because there's one guy, you know, and, he, and I get their number, I give him a call, and he started telling me, as soon as I said something, he talked over the top of me and told me that he knew more than me. Mm. I go, this is not going to work. He goes, what do you mean? You know, if I'm paying you, but you're not paying me. I said, I don't want to work with you. Yeah. I said, just honestly, we'd clash and, and just end badly and, and, and you'd get hurt, so don't come. 
Tony, don't worry. I think we're going to have to leave it there. That's uh, an outstanding conversation. Thank you so much. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what 2021 uh, brings for you and um, just the, your positive outlook on, on the world and on your life. And I mean, you dropped 700 grand and you, you're up and about. I, I Very think next day. Yeah, I, I think that's outstanding. Um, thanks very much, Tony, and uh, look forward to seeing you uh, in look, the future. Thanks for having me on. And just one last message for anyone listening. You always got to find the upside of things. And the upside is next year is going to be a whole lot better than this year because this one was shit. <laughs> so 2021 is really exciting. Mm. Yeah, people have reinvented themselves. We've got new opportunities. You know, we've learned that anything can happen. Everything can get taken away from us, which I think has been a great mental shift yeah. um, for, for people. Families are close together. You know, some good things have come out of this. Mm. So stay strong, keep fighting, and never quit. That's it. I'm out.